Welcome to Florida Health Radio, a podcast designed to connect you with the best healthcare providers in the Florida community, hear their stories, how they're helping their communities. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey everyone, welcome to Florida Health Radio. This is Dr. Josh Simons. I'll be your host. I have Lori Lauridson here today. Uh, Lori and I met at the networking event here in Port St. Lucie. She's an addiction therapist, certified yoga teacher, and doTERRA wellness advocate. Lori, thank you for coming on the show. How's it going? Yeah, thank you for having me. It's going all right. I have a, a little bit of sniffles, so if I have a stuffy nose, if I sound kind of funny, I apologize, but... I'm doing okay, and I'm happy to be here. It's been a little bit. We've been trying to do this for a while. <laughs> I know, yeah. We've probably been scheduling this for like two or three weeks. Our schedules kept conflicting. But today's the day. We're in the books. We got it. It's going to happen. Yeah. So so tell every. I mean, I kind of already uh, mentioned your titles, but kind of talk about what, what you do, because you have kind of several different ones. So, so what do you do in the community? I do. I do. So... Um, so I'm here in, in Palm City. I'm actually new to the area. I've been here for about a year. And I primarily, I'm, I'm a licensed mental health counselor. Um, so my other two titles are, are licensed mental health counselor and master certified addictions professional. And that's um, just means that I'm, I treat people for their mental health and mental wellness. So that's my primary job. I've been doing that for about 13 years. Um, and I've been a yoga teacher for about five. And about four with the doTERRA wellness, um, program. So all of those things fit really, really well together with what I do as a therapist. So it's just a bunch of different ways for me to, um, to treat people and to help them get better and be their best selves. Nice. How did you get into, cause certainly there's, I would imagine there's a lot of avenues when it comes to like mental health counseling. So how did you get into more of the addiction side of things? Okay. That's, that's definitely a a common question. So I knew I wanted to be a therapist since I was little, basically. Um, I've always had people tell me their life story, even strangers that I would sit down next to on random or whatever they may be. Um, so I knew I wanted to be a therapist. I've always been pretty empathic and, you know, I kind of feel like that, that was a calling for me. Um, so, and I didn't really know I wanted to do addiction until I was in grad school. Um, so while I was in grad school, one of the classes that we had to take was a substance abuse counseling class. And, um, I had a professor who was super passionate about it. Um, he had a brother who was an alcoholic and he was really good at teaching it. I was always really interested um, in, in alcohol and, and how they work in the brain and how people um, are affected by them. But after that class and um, many other things, but after that class and um, just, I found that I had a a passion for it. And I found that I was good at it. You know, I understood it. There's a lot of therapists, there's a lot of doctors, there's a lot of, um, people in the community that just don't understand it. You know, they don't understand how people can use drugs and alcohol and things like that, or how to treat them once they have. Um, so I just kind of found like it was, it was a niche for me and it was something that I loved. You know, I mean, it can be really tough to work with someone who's struggling emotionally 
you know, especially when they're coming off drugs and they're pissed mm-hmm. off or frustrated or, you know, upset. I've, you know, worked in, in a psych hospital with detox before. So I've had a few people curse me out. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> oh yeah. Among other things, but you know, I understand where it's coming from. You know, it's coming from a place of pain. It's coming from a place of hurt, discomfort, you know, and all those kinds of things. So I felt like it was, uh, a calling, if you will, you know, that's kind of the only way I can really describe it. So, and I've been doing it for 13 years now, maybe 14, somewhere around there. And I still love it. So I think that's a real testimony. And I feel very blessed that having been doing it as long as I have, I still love it. And I still have a passion for it. I think that there's, you know, that, that can be a rarity in life. So I'm pretty happy about that. Yeah, that's very true, especially uh, in healthcare. The fact that you still have a passion for it is is incredible, actually. So what does a so what would like a session with you look like for for someone that is kind of struggling with addiction? Um, well, I mean, it, it looks very similar to what we're doing right now because actually my practice is primarily um, telehealth, so we do it all via video, face to face sessions. Um, so I can see anybody in the state of Florida and we, we would, you know, we would talk during, during these types of sessions and, and talk a little bit about, I mean, it always starts with um, a phone call usually, you know, whether it's a, a referral or whether they're reaching out or whatever the case may be. Um, we're going to have a chat and find out if I'm the best fit for them. You know, one of the things that I have to do is, look at, you know, how do they, cause the relationship in therapy is the most important thing. So I have to look at, are they connecting with me? Am I connecting with them? You know, and, and can we work together? One of the other biggest things I have to do, especially because of the telehealth is we have to do a little bit of risk assessment. We have to look at where they're at, how much they're using, how safe is it for them to be doing just individual counseling? Um, if they're still using, sometimes that might mean going to detox or going to, you know, what most people understand is rehab, which is residential treatment. And they go for 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, whatever makes sense um, for them. Or it might be somebody who comes after that, you know, might be somebody that I'm meeting after they've done all of that and they need that continued support. Excuse me. So, um, (laughs) And then what that looks like is we're, I'm going to do an assessment with them. I'm going to do a full, just like, you know, you would do in your practice, I'm going to do a full psychosocial assessment, look at, you know, what are their symptoms? What's their history? What's their background? And, and most importantly, what do they want to work on? You know, because just, and again, not everybody that I work with has addiction, but when we're talking about addiction, just because they're coming to me for their substance use or substance use disorder, as it were, is what we call it. Um, doesn't mean that they want to be abstinent. It doesn't mean that they're ready to, you know, stay sober or to even do all the things that it takes to be in recovery. Um, so my job is to look at what are your goals for treatment? What is it that you want to get out of our time together? And how do we, how do we meet that? You know, cause it's not mm-hmm. just automatically, okay, you're going to be sober. You're going to go to 12 step meetings. You're going to do this, that, or the other, you know, it's, I can be pretty directive, but it's, it's, it's definitely a collaborative process. You know, it's, it's me there as a support, not just as an expert who knows better, you know, it's, you know, you're the expert on you, you know? Right. So when, so when people come to you, 
you kind of talked about this a bit. So not everyone is really, I guess, ready to make that change into that, uh, that sort of that transformation into either being abstinent. Um, I mean, is it, I guess what I'm asking is, is it there? I they have to make a choice to come see you though. Right. So I assume they're ready at some point to, to try to change something. Right. right. Well, I mean, that fits with all of change, you know, like I said, addiction is my specialty, but you know, I, I also work with, I mean, when you work with addiction, you see pretty much everything, every possible mental illness in the book disorder in the mm-hmm. book, you know, it's, it's a lot of people who have addiction have, um, co-occurring disorders, what we call it. So they have, um, a, a diagnosed anxiety disorder or depression or trauma or, you know, something like that relate the, the, and they all intertwine and they all relate together. Um, so, but what you're asking specifically about, are they willing to change? I mean, obviously, you know, the, the person that's ideal, ideal to work with me is someone who is ready to make some changes in their life. But as a therapist, I also know that even if you know, you want to make that change and by making that phone call, you are demonstrating some action. It doesn't mean that you're ready to look at all the things that go along with that. Um, in, in therapy, we have what are called stages of change and stages of change are what everybody goes through. I don't know if you've, if you know anything about that, of the stages of change model. Um, is that the, is that like the DABDA, like the, not like the denial anger stages of, you're not talking about that, are you? Oh, no, no, it's, so, um, I mean, it fits with anything. So it actually might be helpful for you with your, um, your practice as well. Thinking about as human beings to make a change, it, it takes a lot of effort. It's hard. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we go, they're not linear stages, but essentially the stages are pre-contemplation, which means I don't have a problem. I don't know I have a problem and I'm not willing to do anything to change it. Um, contemplation, I'm starting to see maybe I have a problem. I'm not sure if I want to change it. Um, some in, in some places we talk about preparation and action. Sometimes we put them together. So preparation would be, I know I have a problem. I'm looking at the idea of changing it. And then action is I'm actively taking the steps like calling a therapist or, you know, going to into some type of treatment um, and making those changes. And then maintenance would be the, you know, I'm, I'm continuing that forward momentum. I'm continuing to do the things that help keep me stable, help keep me sober, you know, help my anxiety, depression, my trauma, those kinds of things. <clears throat> Excuse me. Oh, you're good. When people are in the, the action phase, obviously they're only meeting with you for, I would assume, how often a week would they see you? Generally once a week. I mean, it, you know, you could do as much as two or three times, but that's not the, that's not the norm. Most people, if they're seeing me for individual therapy, it'd be once a week or once every other week, depending right. on what. And so what are they working on at, at home in the, in the meantime? Are there things that they're, they're doing to, to try to help themselves? What kind of things do you try to have them do? Sure. So with my, um, that actually fits with some of the other pieces that I work on, which is the yoga therapy and the, and the essential oils or aromatherapy. Um, that might be part of their program, but you know, overall, the biggest thing is going to be starting with like stabilization and, and learning how to cope because a lot of times where that comes from is I don't know how to cope with my current situation. Um, I don't, my coping skill is using, excuse me, drugs or alcohol or 
unhealthy, I'm doing unhealthy habits or whatever the case may be eating, who knows? Um, so depending on the person we're going to look at, you know, what are, what are you struggling with? If a lot of times it's going to start with some type of mindfulness, um, some type of maybe a physical practice or maybe just some deep breathing, things like that. I mean, people underestimate how powerful just taking a few deep breaths can be for their overall well-being. Um, but it's very individualized, so it's, it's hard to say, but I do come from the lens of using as many holistic practices as possible. So, you know, we might do some, they, I might, we might talk about exercise. We're going to talk about um, uh, support, right? Like maybe a 12-step meeting if that's what they're struggling with or church or, you know, whatever fits for them. And again, it's going to be very individualized based on what they're willing to do and based on what fits for them. Um, I like to use a big fancy word when we talk about treatment and it's, I subscribe to the biopsychosocial spiritual model. Okay. That is a map. That is a mouthful. Okay. Yeah. So biopsychosocial spiritual. So the biological, we look at the biological piece of that. When we're talking about addiction, it's highly heritable. It's about, um, 70% heritable. So if you have a first line relative, like a parent or a sibling, um, that has a problem with alcohol, for example, because that's the one that's been the most studied, then you're 70% more likely to develop a problem if you pick up. Wow. Yeah. So we look at the biological aspects. We look at how it physically affects the body, um, which, I, you know, I'm not a nutritionist, although I have good friends that, that handle some of that nutritional aspect, but we talk about how they're eating. You know, are, are they getting a good balanced diet? Are they sleeping? Um, you know, those are the big things in the biological piece. Um, and, and moving, you know, moving is really important. Any kind of exercise because it's going to increase endorphins, kind of increase those feel good chemicals so that their brain can begin to heal so that their brain can begin to change. Um, so, and then biopsycho. Okay. So psychological, that's the emotional piece. That's the, um, <clears throat> the talking therapy part of it, that's the um, looking at their their emotional reactions to things, their patterns, family life, you know, all of those kinds of things, um, background there. Uh, biopsychosocial, I have to I have to literally do it. I'm literally right. doing it <laughs> so that I remember where I'm at. Um, so social, you know, it's especially with addiction, but with anything, you know, we're social beings as human beings, we're social beings. So it's really important to have some sort of social structure that's supportive. <clears throat> it looks like you froze for a second. Did I freeze? No, you're fine. Nope. Okay. Good. Okay. So the social aspect, you know, having some sort of positive social environment. And for example, you know, yoga may be part of the physical and the psychological part, but it's also part of the social and frankly, the spiritual, because you're, you're connecting with other people if you're going to a class, for example, or stuff like that. Um, and then traditional 12-step um, AA or NA, you know, can be really helpful for addiction. But there's other things, like I mentioned, you know, any sort of um, spiritual services, like a church or a synagogue or whatever, meditation, you know, that fits in both. And a lot of these, they blend together and they fit together. So that fits in both the social aspect of connecting with healthy people or people who are trying to be healthy, um, at least healthy for you. <laughs> and right. and the, the spiritual aspect of it, you know, is, is connecting 
connecting with your, your inner self, with your higher power, with, you know, God's source, whatever that means to you, you know, it might just be that, that inner part of yourself. Um, but addressing all of those things, you know, when I talk about the biopsychosocial model, it's, uh, we think of it like four legs of a chair, right? So if you take away one of those legs, what happens to that chair, right? Mm -hmm. It gets pretty wobbly and unstable. So, so that was a pretty long winded answer. I hope I answered your question. Good answer. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) I try. Right. That God, 70% is inherited. That, that puts people at such a disadvantage. If, but if you're taking care of the other aspects, though, would you say that that 70% is somewhat modifiable in terms of your likeliness of, of becoming addicted and things of that nature? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's, it's all of those things. And, and um, <clears throat> so that and adverse childhood experiences, or ACEs is what they call them, are the two biggest factors. Um, and of course, the adverse childhood experiences we can work on by trying to minimize those, right? Um, Not if they've already happened. By the time they come to me, it's already happened and we're looking at, you know, minimizing their effects. Um, But when it comes specifically to the heritability, you know, we, we now know that our, while our genes are what they are, we can't change that necessarily, but we can turn them on or off, you know, um, that neuroplasticity and, and changing the brain, we can change our brain through our thinking and through our behavior. And um, so if we don't pick up first, I mean, it's the likelihood of somebody not drinking alcohol ever in their life is probably not pretty high. Drugs, maybe, you know, mm-hmm. or, or, you know, whatever the case may be. But uh, so that's one. But then certainly, yes, those other factors will make a difference. Because if you had a first line relative and they're in recovery, you know, when you're a child, then you're not going to see that same pattern of behavior. You're going to see them doing all of the healthy things. So that's going to make you less likely. If you haven't experienced trauma, um, then that's going to, you know, be what we call a protective factor, right? The protective factors Mm -hmm. would be having a good social environment, having um, the spiritual aspect, um, being more adaptive in, in knowing how to cope, like learning coping skills at a younger age and, and knowing how to deal with things healthier. Those are all what we call protective factors. The other stuff that we've been talking about are risk factors. Right. So, so, so to answer your question, yeah, it's definitely going to make a huge difference. All the other things, even if it has happened, like once you've turned that gene on, it's not like you can most of the time. I mean, there's no definitive answer here, but you can't, are not going to be very likely to be able to drink moderately if mm-hmm. you've had an alcohol problem. Do people do it? Absolutely. You know, the majority of those people don't end up in my office. There's actually like a huge, or on my computer, as I should, I should say, but most, um, most people actually get help. Or, I mean, get sober without help. You know, there's a huge percentage of people who just do it on right. their own, but we don't get to hear about a lot of those stories you know, um, because they're not necessarily open about it or that's not what we talk about. Yeah, man, that would be a really neat platform for that to occur though, even if it were anonymous in some way, because I would, I would think that that would be sort of an inspiration for people who may be struggling with it. Um, if they were to see someone and maybe even list out what they what they did, like actionable things that they did to try to help 
overcome it. You don't know anything like that that might exist. <laughs> <laughs> well, certainly AA is a big part of that. I mean, it's, oh, okay. they, have a very, they have a very specific way. You know, they we do these 12 steps and this is how we stay sober and, and you know, all of those things. Um, which does actually go through the stages of change. So, you know, and, to, and does deal with all of the aspects of the biopsychospiritual model. Biopsychosocial spiritual model. <laughs> <laughs> if I can't say it, then we're really yeah, in trouble. <laughs> yeah, practice a little bit. <laughs> so, um, you know, like the first three steps, for example, the first steps is we, you know, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol or substances and our lives had become unmanageable. So that fits in the pre-contemplation to contemplation stage. So once you recognize you have a problem, then you can start to do something about it. You know, and the second and third steps are about kind of having hope and, and being humble and, and turning yourself over, so to, so to speak, about being, you know, open to the possibility that you can't do it on your own, that, you, you know, you may need that spiritual aspect, the higher power. Um, to help you through that, you know, whatever that means. And for a lot of people, a higher power is a group is, you know, um, their treatment team, so to speak, which can include a psychiatrist, a therapist, you know, a, a spiritual advisor, many different things. Um, but it is not the only way. I mean, there's definitely, you know, there's a lot of push right now to, um, I think there's actually a Facebook group or a Facebook page called make recovery, the epidemic. You know, because in talking about the opioid epi epidemic, um, it's let's talk more about that, you know, and there's a, because the, the culture and the history of AA um, is anonymity, you know, we don't talk about it because especially, I mean, you know, the, the two founders, um, Bill and Bob, one was a doctor and one was a, a prominent businessman. So they didn't want to go around sharing that they were alcoholics um, you know, because it affected them. It, the, in my circles, it's a little bit, people are a little bit more open about it, but there's still a lot of, there's still a lot of stigma. There's still a lot of, um, you know, people who, like I said, even doctors, sometimes they don't get it. They just don't. They only see it from their very um, medical lens. I mean, you know, now that it's been the American Society of Addiction Medicine has made it a chronic illness that affects you in all those ways that I talked about. <clears throat> it's a little bit better, but it's still, it's, it's a controversial thing. So yeah. I say all that to say there are, there's lots of support groups and different things on Facebook. There's a lot of different types of groups. Um, smart recovery is cognitive behavioral based, which is, you know, one of the primary types of treatments that therapists do, you know, co cognitions are about your thinking and, and then your behaviors are about your actions. And by changing those two things, you can literally change your brain. Okay. I've actually heard of that. There was one type of therapy. I, I think it was one that you had on your profile. So there was CBT, the cognitive behavioral, but then there's DBT. Uh -huh. What's that? I don't know the difference between the two. So DBT is dialectical behavior therapy. And, and the dialectics is really kind of, I, I always kind of struggle to explain it, but that part of it, but it's, it's really about putting everything together. For me, it's about the sum of all parts. And it's, DBT is comprised of basically cognitive behavioral type exercises with a mindfulness component. Mm, okay. So it's a lot about learning skills, um, learning mindfulness, learning to self-soothe, um, 
all the things that we talk about in yoga. So it's kind of like a, a meshing of the Western and Eastern worlds, so to speak. Um, it's, I mean, it's fantastic. You know, I definitely use a lot of DBT, um, in my treatment and yeah. And then the other thing, you know, but we're talking about the biological stuff and the, the aromatherapy, you know, essential oils can get to your brain just as fast. Well, actually really faster than any drug because the molecules are so small, just inhaling, you know, like the breathe that I inhaled so that I wasn't as stuffy today, it gets to my brain within about five seconds. So, you know, it can change. Imagine if you can change that for me. Um, so what kind of things I actually wanted to, to bridge to that? So that's the perfect segue. Uh, what, what benefits does like aromatherapy have? I know a little bit about it. I know that there's a ton of different varieties of them, but what kinds of things would people use them for and how does it help them with their therapy? <clears throat> you broke up there for a second, but if I understood correctly, you're asking what are, what are some of the benefits of aromatherapy? Um, yeah. And, and how about the different kinds and, and what they do. Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. Um, so there are lots of them, all, you know, they've been using aromatherapy. They've been using herbs and different things like that for thousands of years, you know, before our modern medicine even existed. Um, and I mean, I could talk about that for a whole hour, but essentially, you know, the, there are the kind you get in like whole food stores or, you know, wherever, and then there are the kind, there are the kind that you, you get that are like certified therapeutic grades. So the, the brand of essential oils that I use is called doTERRA, which is um, certified therapeutic grade oils that you can take internally, that you can put on your skin um, and those different kinds of things. So, and what that means is it's been third-party tested. Um, and without getting too technical with all that stuff, you have to be really careful about what, what you put in your body. I mean, we have a lot of, you know, chemicals and, and toxic things that we already put in and on our bodies, you know, just to wash our hair, you know, and stuff like that. So being mindful of that because these chemicals are very powerful. So specifically related to my practice, there are physical benefits. Um, but I'm going to highlight more the emotional benefits, um, that do actually also f- affect you physically. So everybody knows about lavender. Lavender is one of the ones that, you know, just the smell of it is very calming. Um, lavender is really good for the, uh, to calm the central nervous system. It's good for sleep. It's good for relaxation. It's really good for anxiety. So basically by taking the oils, um, and how I usually recommend is you put a drop in your hand, you rub your hands together and you take a deep breath within two or three breaths, you're going to feel a pretty much automatic response from that. You know, Mm. Um, like I said, it takes about five seconds. It takes about seven to 12 seconds for smoke inhalation, like smoking cigarettes to get Mm. to your brain. So it's faster than any, any other substance. That's the fastest way to get it to your brain is through smoking any substance. Um, And then IV use, believe it or not, most people think it's the other way around, but Wow. Okay. Didn't know so that. It gets your, yeah. So it gets to your brain. It can pass through the blood brain barrier. So that 
mm-hmm. the um, blood brain barriers are to protect the brain from, you know, toxic substances and foreign substances. And the oils, because the molecules are so small, they not only get through the brain, blood brain barrier, but they get into the individual cells. Um, so, you know, there's ones, there's, I mean, there's a ton of different kinds, but there's ones that are specifically energizing that can help with depression, like peppermint or wild orange, for example. Um, and lavender, like I mentioned for sleep, any tree scents are going to be pretty grounding and calming. So, you know, in relation to my therapy, what I'm going to look at is what is this person struggling with and what do they want to experience and what do they need? Um, and some of that is going to be related to what they, now we, you know, we're seeing each other through video. So it's a little bit harder if I, if we have some opportunity to do face to face or, um, then I would have them smell it because sometimes our brain knows what it needs and we'll Mm -hmm. smell something and say, "Mm, that smells really good. And usually that means that it's something that we connect with. So it, it can be really helpful and really beneficial. If I don't have that opportunity, then, you know, and when I do our face-to-face sessions, we have mostly what we, we talk about, what are they struggling with and what do they want um, to get out of it? And then I might be able to send them some samples or I might suggest, okay, here's some oils that I think would be really helpful as a complementary practice between that and, you know, like I said, doing some yoga or some meditation. Um, because when you're inhaling the oils, you're not just getting the benefits of the oil itself, you're getting the benefits of taking in the deep breaths, the deep um, inhalations, the deep exhalations, which is going to stimulate the the parasympathetic nervous system that's responsible for relaxation. So, And is that pretty much the main... You talked about how you can use it topically too, right? But is the, the inhalation method, uh, is that used most just because it's kind of quicker or is there a reason you would rather do topical? Um, it depends. I mean, I'm a big fan of using as many, as many avenues as you can. I mean, there's, mm-hmm. we have specifically like a, an essential oil based. Um, I don't, I don't like to call it a sleep aid because, you know, sleep aids imply that most, for most people that you have to take them for forever because if you don't sleep, then, you know, that, or if you, if you don't take it, then you don't sleep. But it can help. We do have an internal oral version um, that you can take that can help to re-regulate your sleep. Um, you know, and of course, there's to, we want like an immediate pill that's going to fix everything, and that's there. There's no such thing. But um, but it can help along with some of the other things that we're doing. Um, so it just depends on the situation. Right. Inhalation is the quickest and easiest. Um, taking it topically on, for example, the pulse points you know, like on the wrist or like right on behind the ears or the back of the neck, you know, you're going to still, you're going to smell it, but it's also going to connect to the places that where it would get to your bloodstream faster, essentially, because it's, um, because the molecules are small. Right. So I'm no expert on all of those things. There's lots of technical and scientific language when it comes to that, that that I'm, you know, always (laughs) <laughs> but but I do know that it can be, I've seen it be amazingly helpful. We have a specific aromatherapy collection for um, emotions. Like there's one called peace and there's one called console. That's more for like grief. There's one called forgive. There's one that's called cheer or motivate. Like there's lots of different, and it's a blend of different oils that can help you um, with those specific issues that you might be struggling with. Right. So 
this is kind of something I'm curious about. So seeing as though this is something where with the oils, you're seeing uh, like a, like a tangible like benefit from it. I mean, obviously there's no addictive components in it, but have you ever known someone like, can you become kind of mentally or, or, or cognitively addicted to these oils or does that just not really happen? Um, I mean, I haven't really seen that per se, but just like with any compulsive um, behavior, you know, I mean, it's with drugs and alcohol, it's very, there's definitely a, a strong physical component, but right. there's things like process addictions, you know, like our phones, you know, it can sure. become an addictive behavior when we're compulsively checking it and we're worrying about it and, you know, a, a lot of the, the criteria is about how it's affecting our lives. So um, I guess I guess I say all that to say that you could have um, a preoccupation or whatnot or whatever the case may be, but I haven't really seen it be detrimental per se. Right. And like exercise, I mean, you can certainly excessively exercise. Yeah, um, definitely. But um. But overall, it's a healthy habit, you know? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then I, I do want to transition into the, the yoga. I'm pretty interested in this. How are you actually incorporating that? Are you doing sessions through, through uh, telehealth through, um, and actually going through guided yoga sessions through there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and I can see people um, physically, locally for private sessions. <clears throat> um, but yeah, I do them and it's the same process. You know, we have, there's a lot more research on yoga therapy, so to speak. Um, and, but basically what happens is the same intake process. It's for me, it's usually integrated. It's usually, you know, you've come to me for therapy and I, and I consider aromatherapy and I consider yoga as a, a part of your treatment. Um, Sometimes it could just be yoga therapy or it could just be, you know, talk therapy. I mean, you'd be hard pressed not to get me to do some of that other stuff in talk therapy, but in the yoga therapy itself might be a component we do by itself. But, um, so again, same thing. I'm going to assess where you're at. If you're really anxious, I'm not going to give you really energizing breathing exercises or really energizing poses. That's going to increase your anxiety. I'm going to look at okay, how do we, you know, what do we do for calming exercises? So in yoga, we talk about three, the, um, the three different states. There's the rajasic state, which is a more anxious state. Um, there's tamasic, which is a more inert, more like withdrawn state, which fits more with depression in, in our world. Um, and then there's a sattvic state, which is the more balanced state. So we're looking at, we're looking for balance, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking at specific exercises that would be helpful based on the state that person is in and based on some of the things that they're struggling with. Um, so a simple example would be just yoga three part, three part breath is, is pretty much good for anybody. Um, and it's really just when we talk about diaphragmatic breathing, as a lot of people do for relaxation, it's a, it's just a form of diaphragmatic breathing. So we're starting in the low belly we're taking a deep breath all the way through the mid belly to the, to the chest, the upper chest, all the way up to the throat. And we're doing that slight little closing of the back of the throat on the inhale and the exhale. So it sounds a little bit like an ocean. Oh. 
Okay. And on the exhale, it's um, we're stimulating the vagus nerve that's responsible for relaxation. So the exhale is even more important than the inhale, although having them even and having them slowed down is, um, is really important. I saw you studied Hatha alignment yoga. Is that similar to what you're talking about or is that something that branches off of that in a different way? Um, so that's just my, every, every yoga comes from some form of Hatha yoga. I put that specifically because um, there's, a, there's a lot of different styles and a lot of people, especially in, in our Western world and especially the younger group of people, yogis are doing like hardcore vinyasa or hot yoga or things mm -hmm. like that, that can be really great when you're young and fit, but may not be as helpful for someone who's middle-aged or who's had an injury or who's struggling with um, trauma, you know, PTSD or anxiety, that that kind of really vigorous high level yoga is not super helpful. Um, and a lot of people don't um, pay attention to their alignment. I did for, you know, when I was young, young, and I started yoga, I was dumping on my weight into my wrists in like downward facing dog and ended up with repetitive stress injuries in my wrist because I had no idea how to properly align my body. Um, and I see that with a lot of people. So, so Hatha alignment is, is about balance. It's basically the Sanskrit terms, um, for sun and moon and you put them together and the alignment base is just is kind of more mindfulness. It's, it's more mindfulness about your body and space. So if I'm standing in a standing warrior pose, I'm not just kind of dumping into my legs and into my feet. I'm thinking about actively, you know, moving my body. I'm thinking about shoulder blades down and back. I'm thinking about reaching my fingertips out. I'm thinking about specifically about where my feet are grounded in the floor, different things like that to protect the body, the joints, and to have um, optimal benefits, you know, mind, body, and spirit, as they right. say. Yeah, definitely. And you're doing something, well, I saw you're doing something pretty cool. Are you doing a yoga retreat in uh, this coming year? Talk about I that because that sounds pretty neat. Yeah. So um, it's been kind of a, a, a baby of mine that I've been growing and um, so next year, next Labor Day weekend, it's, it's actually a five day. Um, so we would leave on Thursday before Labor Day and come back Tuesday. Uh, we're going to Greece. So it's going to be, you get me as a therapist, as a yoga teacher, as an aromatherapist, you know, um, and you get the benefits of all of that, but we get to go to this beautiful environment and have a transform, transformational experience. So it's going to be on, on an island out there. And all-inclusive resort. And it's for, you know, men, women, couples, singles. You know, it's, it's really anybody who wants that kind of experience um, to connect with yourself, to connect with other people, have a fun vacation. Yeah. You know? um, and, you know, we'll have some, I'll have some, I'll talk about some of this stuff on the retreat. You know, you'll get yoga every day and then there'll be other little bonus workshops and things. Um, but you'll still have plenty of time to go enjoy. Like we have a, an excursion that'll be included. That's going to be awesome. And everything's pretty much all inclusive. So you just have to get there and, uh, and even flights, flights will be, um, we can package them if I get people, you know, together to package them together, but it's, it's going to be really awesome. I should have all the final details, hopefully by 
maybe by tomorrow or early next week. So I'll be definitely posting more on that stuff and exactly what it's going to look like. And it's been awesome. Yeah. What inspired you to do that? Because first of all, it sounds like a, a lot of planning, but did something in particular inspire you to do that? Um, I just really wanted to give people a deeper experience. And I've been to, you know, some retreats myself and I just know how transformational they can be to get, not just to have a vacation, but to really get away from your day-to-day life and learn some of these tools in a safe space. It's kind of like going to treatment without having to go to treatment. Mm -hmm. If that makes any sense. Like, you don't have to be, you don't have to be struggling with addiction or whatever the case may be to go on a yoga retreat. Um, you do to go into like rehab, but you get some of the same benefits. I mean, without all the, as much therapy, but you get some of the same benefits in a really fun environment and you get to learn yoga and it's, you know, it's good for, for beginners to advanced practitioners. Um, and it's just, I just see how uh, the amazing benefits that it can be. And, and I've wanted to go to Greece since I was little. And so I decided to swing for the fence and say, you know what, this is going to, and this is my first one. It's my first retreat that I'm running myself. Um, so I was like, I'm just going to swing for the fence and we're, we're going to go to Greece. <laughs> Sweet. That yeah. sounds like a blast. Uh, before, so uh, before we close and I ask my last question, where can people, where can people find you to learn about you and this awesome re- retreat that you're doing? Yeah, good question. Uh, so I have my uh, website is locounselingandwellness.com. My Facebook page is of the same name. And then of course my, um, you can always call me. My phone number is 407-435-5013. And I'm, I'm assuming we'll be able to put the link somewhere so that people... Yeah, definitely. Sweet. And yeah. then... And my I, consultation is always free. So if you have, you know, if anybody has any questions, you can just reach out to me and uh, I'll schedule some time to chit chat and see if we're a good fit or if there's something that I can help you with. Great. And then lastly, just something I'm curious about, what, what's kind of your, what's your vision? Where do you want to take this whole, uh, this whole career path that you've carved for yourself? Hmm. Um, well, my primary obviously is the telehealth, but I'm actually here locally in Stewart going to be doing a yoga therapy group. So that's something that I really want to build up more the connection. I mean, it's getting huge. Like they're doing yoga and treatment centers all the time, but I really want to build the connection more with yoga and mental health and mm-hmm. addiction and, um, and be able to share that and, and eventually, you know, be able to talk about it and take it, you know, globally was my first thought. I don't know. That seems a little big, but maybe globally. Um, Why not? Go <laughs> yeah. And just to really build all that together and, and have, people see that, you know, I consider myself the bridge between the, the science and the holistic and, and putting it all together and just help as many people as I can. There you go. Yeah. I love it. Well, thank you for coming on. This has been an awesome chat. Well, thank you. I of hope course. I answered all your questions. Oh yeah, it was great. And so everyone listening, definitely check out Lori and definitely check out that retreat if you're interested because who wouldn't want to go to Greece? You get a little bit of stress reduction and mindfulness in the meantime. So have a great night, everyone. And until next time.
Thank you so much to everyone for tuning in to this episode of Florida Health Radio. You can follow our radio show on all major podcasting platforms. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel, Florida Health Radio. And if you like what you're listening to, you can like the Facebook page, Florida Health Radio. Thank you again for tuning in, and I'll talk to you next time.